So turn with me to Matthew 22, and while you're turning there, I want to address a couple of things. Um, these aren't bad things. These are just maybe what we would call housekeeping. Um, how many of you like when the house of God is in order? Okay, glory follows order, and <clears throat> we are deeply determined, I mean deeply determined, to make sure that this fellowship truly is a safe place for the hungry and a dangerous place for the lukewarm. That Those things are not contradictory, they're complementary, because if this is a safe place for the hungry, then that means if you're really hungry for God and you truly want to know Him and, and learn and grow and seek God and you want to be equipped and trained, then this is probably a good place for you. This is a, a place where you can actually take steps forward in your walk with God. Would you say amen? But this is a dangerous place for the lukewarm. Why? Our hope and our prayer is that you would catch fire for God. And I believe that the Lord's desire is for everyone to look at this wall and the statement that's on it. And for that to be the truth about your life. Where you as a person, not just true of this fellowship when we're together corporately, but true for you individually, that you would be a safe place for the hungry. That when people are hungry for God, they're actually attracted to your life because they see a hunger for God in you. Amen? But it would be a dangerous place for the lukewarm. You would actually be an agent of change and Christ-like transformation where you are burning so hot in your spiritual life that when other people come into contact with you, the temperature rises for them. Are we in agreement that Jesus vomits lukewarm out of His mouth? When, I don't know about you, but when you vomit, you're disgusted, you're upset, you're even sick because of what's it's coming. And Jesus is not neutral about our spiritual lukewarmness. If you have been under conviction about being lukewarm, I want to encourage you, it's the Holy Spirit. Too often we want to rescue people out of the conviction of the Lord. Like, like, let me try this one on for size and we'll just jump right in. Why is people questioning their salvation a bad thing? Ooh, it's real quiet in here. Since when is it always a negative thing that someone would need to examine themselves to see if they're really in the faith? Is that what the Word of God says? Is that what the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said? So when people start to tremble and quake and shake a little bit, maybe God is really moving and we need to come alongside of them and pray for them and encourage them rather than rescue them out of the intense conviction of the Lord. Now the enemy's really good at hijacking conviction and turning it into condemnation and he actually wants to break your filter for truth so that when people speak truth to you, you get offended rather than transformed. Good morning. But here's what the Lord said to me prophetically and I promise I'll get to the housekeeping stuff. I realize I didn't, but good news, brothers. I wrote it down, so I have to look at it. It's like two months now, I like... I'll write it down. I got notes. It's awesome. 
Here's what the Lord said to me this morning, and I really feel the weight of the Lord on this, so I want you to judge it and and you weigh it. I wrote this down. The Lord said, many, he didn't say few, he said many. Many, are you all listening to me? Many are struggling in this house because they've they've counted the cost without seeing the reward. I am the reward, says the Lord. I believe prophetically that God just helped me as a leader to identify some of the struggle, some of the turmoil, some of the things that you may be going through. It very very well may be that you have been forced to count the cost. You're not going to have proximity to this ministry and not hear biblical truth and biblical preaching. Which, by the way, Jesus wants you to count the cost, yes? He doesn't want you to not count the cost and say, I'm all in and then realize you're not and it's to your shame. But some of us are literally stuck in counting the cost and God wants to move you into seeing the reward. If you're always just counting the cost, then you'll interpret everything as a challenge rather than an encouragement to see the reward. I like preaching that's white hot because I don't want to sleep in the hour of the Lord's visitation. I like preaching that awakens me, that shakes something inside of me because I do not want to miss what God is doing in the earth. I'm glad we're sleepy this morning. It it, it stirs something up in me. It really does. That's not, oh, Paul's mad at you. We're talking about spiritual realities that manifest in attitudes and emotions of people. We are all susceptible to the spiritual realm. Do we understand that there's two realms in one reality? There's the spiritual realm and the natural realm, but it's all one reality. When we gather to worship, we're worshiping in spirit, and it's manifesting in the natural realm with tears, with knees bowed, with hands lifted high, with there being an exchange of heaviness and burdens and whatever for revelation and power and encouragement and the miraculous. Why? Because God is really moving, but some people quite literally struggle because they want to see the spiritual realm with natural eyes and a natural mindset and and it doesn't work. So, So if you're still looking at, let's say, praying in tongues through the natural realm, all you're going to come away with is, well, that's weird and that's not for me. But if you could see in the Spirit and the Word of God could become your lens, you would see, wow, I'm building myself up on my most holy faith. Why is there so much warfare over praying in the Holy Spirit? Because it's real. Oh, here they go talking about the Holy Spirit again. And that's that nagging voice that wants to snuff out the fire of God in you. Can can we just talk about something else? What do you mean like something else other than God? If we're here for Him and it's all about Him, then we only have one obsession and it's the magnificent Jesus. And we can't talk too much about Him. We can't pray too much. We can't fast too much. But listen, there's a whole host and a multitude. I call them 
The wet blanket, brethren. Who want to talk you out of the more of God. They're waiting for you to have a weak moment so that they can tell you, just calm down. You, 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 just, you just need to take it easy a little bit. Maybe you need to take a break. Like what, take a break from God? Take a break from fellowship with God's people? Take a break from communication with God. I mean, it's like they want to talk you out of what we all really need, which is a life-giving connection with our Father so that we can be healed, so that we can be transformed, so that we can encounter the love that has purchased us with His own blood. I believe that many of you are stuck in counting the cost. And I want to exhort you to an upgrade See the reward. See the reward who is Jesus. The reward isn't things, it's Him. It says that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it's impossible to please God, yes? So by faith you must believe, one, that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. God wants to reward you with more of Him where you realize, wow, I don't have to drink off someone else's revelation. I don't have to be impressed by their worship. I've got my own oil and I'm going to dip my hand in that jar and I'm going to get it all over me. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Everybody else can make excuses, but as for me and my own soul, I'm going to make sure that I'm white hot for Jesus Christ. So I ask you, if you are not on fire for God, I exhort you to get before the Lord and ask God, why am I not on fire for you? Hear me please. It's not a lack of fire. It's a lack of sacrifice. We've got to put ourselves on the altar. You know why I like white hot preaching? Because I know I'm listening to someone who has a whole lot of skin in the game. Because they didn't get that anointing without massive crushing. Because they didn't gain all that without tremendous loss. But the problem in this nation is that we've preached a God who gives you all the benefits and blessings without the sacrifice and obedience that's required. Yes, in the kingdom of God, there is a membership fee. Go with me here. There is a membership fee. It cost Jesus His very life. To cause us to know and to see and to experience these things. I don't want to make a mockery of Jesus. Say, hey, thanks Jesus, you did all that for me so I can do the minimum for you. Remember though, the the voices, there's multitudes of people that are going to tell you, just relax, man. You, 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 You need to chill. And religion is always screaming, this is how we've always done it. Don't change things, don't shake up my box, don't, you know, this is what I'm comfortable with. What if the box that we've put God in is our comfort zone? Let me try this side. What if the box we've put God in is our comfort zone? Here's my comfort zone, Lord. Here's my little thimble of what I think is you. And God wants to... 
Why? Because he cannot be contained. He cannot. His love cannot be quenched. He's going to pursue you and He is never going to leave you alone until the day you breathe your last breath. So you might as well surrender, give up, and say, God, I'm all in. I'm sorry I've been holding back on you. Forgive me for just getting stuck and counting the cost when really you want me to see you as the reward. Because if you can see Him as the reward, it doesn't matter what the cost is. Jesus becomes the treasure. And you're like, man, I'll sell it all. You can have it all. And if you're struggling with spiritual blindness, can I exhort you to move some money? I didn't say we're taking up another offering. And oh, that's a whole shadow that the devil has cast on people. Move some money because it'll move your heart. I tell people, if you're stagnating, give an amount that hurts. You don't have to give it to the church, but make sure you give it away so that you're not actually worshiping money instead of God. I'm telling you that sowing and giving away money has opened up the spiritual realm maybe more than anything else in my own life. Why, it set me free. Did Jesus say that you cannot serve God and money? You will hate the one and love the other? Housekeeping. Everybody say, housekeeping. So I want to touch just just real quick a couple of what I would call prophetic protocols because we want this to be a safe place for the hungry. So in our prophetic protocols, in services, we make room for people to bring a word that God may be sharing, that God may be speaking to them. But there's always someone in leadership, this is either going to be me, Austin, Mitchell, or Ben, that are stewarding the service, that are listening to the Lord, that are cast on God to hear His voice, that are reading what the Lord is doing with the help of the worship team. And we want everything to be in alignment and to be in syncopation, if you will. We want everything to be complementary to what the Lord is doing. Does that make sense? So, you can come and you can submit the word and we will try to make room for it if the Lord is in it. But let me say this. If you can't be told no without getting your feelings hurt, you have a problem. Why? Because we want this to be a safe place for the hungry. It doesn't mean that what you had was bad or we think you're a bad person. It just may not fit. It may be right word, wrong timing. Does that make sense? We also want in the laying on of hands, I would encourage you as often as you can remember, especially if you don't know somebody, just say, hey, could I lay my hand on you? Why? Because you're just asking for permission, and when people are able to give you permission, their heart is more receptive. Okay, I minister, as you heard, in places, and I don't go up and start, you know, doing all the stick of my finger in people's ear and let me dump a bottle of oil on you because I'm the whatever. Like, we, we don't do that kind of stuff, okay? We want the Holy Spirit. When, when we do body life, can I encourage you, Jill? Could I ask you to stand real fast? When we do body life and we're praying and we're ministering, let me give you some help, brothers. This right here is okay, yes? I'm going to encourage you to make this the only thing that you do. 
Y'all hearing me? We're, we're, we're not doing some of this and we're not, you know, it, if you want a lady present, get a lady present. If you're married, bring your wife, if, bring your spouse. Why? Because accountability, you can encourage people to listen to what I'm saying and record it. Record my words so that I'm accountable. Yes, accountability is good. It's healthy. You can also ask people for feedback, but you got to have an open heart where they say, hey, that didn't really bear witness with me. Uh, no, I'm not changing jobs. I'm actually getting a promotion. You go, oh, well, maybe I'm, I'm not hearing the Lord. Forgi- forgive me, right? But if you never ask for feedback, you, you won't grow. So we have prophetic protocols here because we want accountability for ministry time. Ask for feedback. You can ask to lay your hands on people. This is how we foster an environment that's safe. Okay? We, even, even Austin, stand up. Even, even guys with guys. Uh, I love Austin. He and I are great friends. I'm, I'm not going below here. Y'all, I need to say it because we're trying to get the Holy Ghost in and the weird out. This is good. I mean, I know you really well. I might even give you a little massage. Praise the Lord. You've never had a Holy Ghost masseuse like me. Hallelujah. (laughs) Y'all hearing me? Is this clear? We want to encourage body, life, and ministry, but there needs to be order in the house of the Lord. Amen? So here's the deal. If you cannot be brought into order... Without getting an attitude, you have a rebellious spirit and you need to repent. I've had to correct and adjust a lot of people through the years. And there were only ever two groups of people. People that said, hey, thanks, no problem, and we went right on. Or people that did the... (laughs) And then normally we never saw them again. Because you understand that people are trying to prey on what the Lord is doing here. There are spirits that are at work through them to distract. Like when you make something about you, like Taylor tells me that I can really sing. I don't know that that's totally true, but I do believe you. But I'm not going to just start singing at the top of my lungs right over someone's ear because I might pull other people out of what God is doing. In other words, I don't ever want to be a distraction. So we'll have people come up and they want to give a word or do a demonstration. And I'm like, okay, if we let you do that, people are going to leave talking about what you did rather than what God did. (laughs) We cool? Praise the Lord. The next thing I have is this, and I really believe this is the heart of God. The next time that somebody visits this ministry or somebody asks, are you an intercessor? The heart of God would be for every man and woman to stand. We have created a subcategory that doesn't exist called intercessors. And I know what you mean. You're a people, a person of prayer. I love to pray. But Paul didn't write to the churches and say, tell the intercessors to pray for me. He asked the saints in the church, please pray for me. So we're all called to be intercessors. And if you have an intercession anointing on your life and you can get to that place quicker than someone else, then your job is to teach other people how to intercede. 
Some of you have the fragrance of prayer on you and some of you are struggling in your prayer life. Can I encourage you? Go to the people with the spirit of intercession and say, how do you do that? How do you spend an hour with the Lord and weep and cry and like you're not tired? You must be seeing something that I'm not. Can you help me and encourage me and challenge me so that my eyes will open so that I can see Jesus? I wonder if any of us avoid corporate prayer because we see it as a cost rather than a reward. To see the Lord. I'm telling you, this is one of my deepest convictions. We are all guilty of asking for Acts 2 power without Acts 1 prayer. It is a formula. It is a pattern, if you will, where God wants us to pray and wait and seek His face. Everybody wants to give you Acts 1-8 power. And there will be power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. How did they get power on them? They were waiting and obeying Jesus and they were gathered together. Would you say together? So we gather together to corporately pray. Why? You can pray at home, but when you pray and you seek God with your brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, it's special. Can I encourage some of you that have never made it at 9.15? Tomorrow or next week is your week. This Tuesday, 6 to 8 a.m., this is your week. This is the time. How much time are you making for social media and for the news and for the things of this world? Make sure that you keep your life burning hot. You know why I get out of bed and make sure I'm at corporate prayer? Because I need to be in corporate prayer. Because I need the presence of the Lord in that way. Because I never want to be so proud and so blind that says, oh, prayer and intercessions for other people. No, God, make me an intercessor. So if you're an intercessor in this room, would you stand up? I want you to feel the call. I want you to understand that you have a role and a part to play. That the body is fit together by that which every joint supplies. What does that mean? You're an intercessor. You like to pray? Well, everything in us that doesn't like to pray has got to go. Amen? Why? Because prayer is the least marketable thing there is in the church. How do we get people excited about prayer when the only thing to consume is God Himself? Please, Please have a seat. God, teach us to pray. Teach me how to pray. Teach me how to seek your face. Forgive me for my boredom, for my apathy, for my complacency, for my indifference. Y'all, I've been telling you this for weeks. I'm running out of excuses. God has me in such a squeeze in my life right now. I'm running out of excuses. I keep trying to find my excuses and they're gone. So where were we? Matthew 22. Turn there with me, Matthew 22. I want to read the parable of the wedding feast. Like I said, powerful confirmations this morning that I was supposed to share this word. As you turn there, I want to mention, did you hear Jeff Lyle say last week that the foundation is set? Anybody hear that? That means that our work here is almost finished. Nobody gets scared on me, okay? We're going to follow New Testament order and pattern 
And it is a hill we're going to die on. Why? Because if you follow the pattern, you see God's presence and God's power. So you will see here in the coming weeks and months in this ministry, you will see elders ordained, you will see more deacons ordained, because the New Testament government of the church is elders and deacons. And elders, plural, our Father's house, you are so blessed. Let me remind you, you don't just have one senior pastor trying to bear the load. You have three and their wives. You have three couples. Guys, stand up if you're in the room. Who are saying yes to serving the Lord. Look at these three men. Guys, turn around. I want, I want you to familiarize yourself with their face. Because what you're going to see in the coming weeks and months is a transition of authority that is ordained by the Lord. That this, I want to exhort you, if you're confused right now, read Acts chapter 20. And if you have questions, I'll try to answer them next week. Why? Because for the next few months, what we've chosen to do with a few exceptions on two weeks, where we're going to be out of town ministering, we're going to be here and we're going to just finish this thing and what God wants to do. Amen? Okay, hear what I said and not what I didn't say. Y'all go have a seat. Thank you. Matthew 22, verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables, saying, Did you know that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning? As soon as you approach a parable in the Word of God, say, Lord, what's the heavenly meaning? Well, what are you trying to communicate here? This is where Jesus takes the two realms of natural and uses it to bring spiritual revelation. Does that make sense? This is why the Pharisees and the rulers and the scribes were so blind and confused because they interpreted everything that Jesus said through the natural lens. Through the natural realm. So when Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and if you don't, you have no part in me, He wasn't saying, everybody come up here and take a bite. I thought that part would be funny. It wasn't. (laughs) Y'all hearing me? We want to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus. Otherwise, we can have no part in Him. We want to be so connected to the Spirit of Jesus that we have His life. That His Spirit is giving life to us. Amen? So He's telling a parable, verse 2. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he went and sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they were unwilling to come. Would you say unwilling? Again, he sent out other slaves saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened livestock. They're all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. Would you say no attention? And went their way. One to his own farm. Another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves. And mistreated them. And killed them. Say killed them. You didn't think you were going to say that today in church. Killed them. Past tense. Not kill them. But the king was enraged. Verse 7. 
and sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite them to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. Verse 11. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw there a man not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And he was speechless. Would you say speechless? Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness, into that place where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I want to give you four groups of people here, because I'm laying a foundation for where I want to go in the Word of God this morning which next is Revelation 19. But I need you to see this parable and understand four things. Number one, I'm going to give you the first group of people. I had you say it to hint at it. You can write it like this. To the king, some guests were. Number one, unwilling. Jesus is telling a parable. He's telling us an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he's saying... These are the attitudes and the postures of people to the king's invitation. Number one in verse three, they were unwilling to come. Are you willing to come? Are you willing to respond to the invitation of the Lord? Let me ask you a question. You may not like to be manipulated, which you shouldn't, by the way, but are you willing to be persuaded? I fear that part of our problem is we're like, I ain't listening to nobody. Well, the problem with isolation is that you become your own counselor. And you become your only counselor. And we need voices of truth in our lives. When people go astray, they get rid of their white hot friends and they start fellowshipping with their lukewarm friends. They start hanging out with their ex-girlfriend, their ex-drug dealer, their ex-whatever. And instead of going forward in God, they start looking backward to the past. So Jesus says they were unwilling to come. Can I be really honest with you? One of the primary things that the Lord has impressed upon me in this hour of my life is this. So that when I pray, not my will but your will be done, I'm not lying to God anymore. Not, not my will, Father. Like, do we mean that? Oh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And it's like just we just regurgitate just information. We don't have any real revelation that you're, Jesus is training you and teaching you how to pray for the will of God to be done in your life and not your own. You know why? Because the will of God for us and the will of us for us is very different many times. You've heard me say this. One of the greatest chastenings of my life is the Lord saying, I want you to move back to Indiana. I'll restore your inheritance to you. And I'm going, please, God, no. And I start trying to find people who will talk me out of it. Why? Because of the rebellion in my own heart that was looking to fellowship with other people that would talk me out of doing God's will. 
But by God's grace, I found a bunch of people that said, hey, if the Lord is in it, you better make sure you do it. Doesn't have to make sense to you. It's about worshiping God. It's about obeying Him and following Him. Is there anything in your life this morning that you're unwilling to do for the Lord? This is about total lordship and total surrender, which by the way, if Christ is not Lord of all, He's really not Lord at all. When we surrender and submit to His Lordship, we're saying, Jesus, have my life, have my money, have my family. I belong to You. I'm a slave. Yes, I'm a son. Yes, I'm a daughter who is enslaved to Your righteous purposes in the earth. And it's a privilege and an honor to obey You. How are we doing? This is all Bible. So the first group of people is unwilling. The second group of people that responds is in verse 5. It says, They paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. I'm going to say number two is distracted. Mitchell preached a great message here some weeks ago called Defeating Distraction. Maybe that's what you need to go back and listen to. Because distraction is killing us and distraction is the enemy of intimacy. It's like God wants to rid us of all distraction and He just wants us to get alone with Him. And then when you finally get alone with Him, all you can think about is anything but Him. Anybody else relate? Oh, I need to do that. Just just start jotting it down. Do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do that later. So that you can clear your heart and your mind and really focus on Him. Now notice what they're distracted with. Are those bad things? If you own a farm, is it bad to tend to your farm? If you own a business, is it bad to run your business? Unless Jesus is inviting you deeper. And then in that moment when Jesus is calling you and you don't have time to respond to His invitation, why? Because whatever is number one is an idol. Whatever is rising above seeing Jesus, I mean, where our whole life is oriented around Him, we're all in idolatry to some form or fashion, and we all have to repent of the idolatry in our lives. Why? Because our heart is constantly making idols and constantly birthing distractions that, ooh, shiny and fun, and Jesus is seated on the throne. He's not the man upstairs. He's the God-man on the throne. Are you distracted from the call, from the invitation of God this morning? Are you living distracted in your life? Can I give you a challenge? Whatever in your day you spend more than 15 minutes doing, just write it down on a list. Whatever it is in your day, just start paying attention to how you steward your time. Write down things that you do for more than 15 minutes a day. Write it down on a list. Take it before the Lord and say, Lord, are my priorities right? Because idolatry is always about priorities. He must be number one. Otherwise, you can be distracted with good things. It's good to run your business. It's good to make money. It's good to be used of the Lord. But even being used by God can become an idol. Somebody say ministry is idolatry. Happens all the time. 
fills us with a, a feeling of significance and arrival, and I'm going to find out who I am, and actually you're going to find out everything you're not. Ask me how I know. Verse 6, And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. The third group of people is hostile. You have number one, those that are unwilling. Number two, those that are distracted. And number three, those that are hostile. Can I tell you that many Christians, if you're looking at me, give me the quotes. Let me see your two fingers. Many Christians are hostile to God's call for more because they're resisting His holy invitation. If God is a rewarder of those who seek Him, let me, can we just settle something as a family this morning? Is it possible to worship God too much? Is it possible that He could be like too much of the center of your, your day? Like, could, could, you, could you make him, like, an idol? No, he's God. Everything else is idolatry. So it's okay for Jesus to be your chief addiction. I didn't say that you can ignore your wife and your kids because you're so holy. Because if you're, re, you're or, organizing and orienting your life around Christ, Jesus is going to say, love your wife. Lay your life down for her. Shepherd and care for your children. Be a good example to them. Teach them how to pray. Help your neighbor. Fend for the weak. But all that comes out of seeing Him first. Otherwise, everything I just mentioned, it just looks like a big cost. Oh, look at all I have to do for Jesus. And we lose the wonder and the opportunity of, look at everything I get to do for Jesus. Look at the privilege. Look at the honor. Look at the sense of, wow, Lord, I was wasting my life before I knew you. I was throwing myself at everything that would make me feel significant. But you have made me feel what nothing in this earth could make me feel. I've seen the treasure and my whole life has shifted to have the right response to the king and to his invitation. One more group of people. Verse 11. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw there a man not dressed in wedding clothes. That's important. It wasn't that he wasn't dressed. He wasn't dressed in wedding clothes. He wasn't sitting there naked. As they say in Kentucky and Tennessee and Georgia, where I often am. <laughs> it's okay, you can laugh. Jesus says, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. This represents people that respond to the invitation, but don't know what's required. It is our chief conviction here in this house that we would all rightly understand what is required to follow Jesus. We have preached a gospel in America that is one of self-centeredness and self-assurance. And here's how God can make you feel better when really God loves us so much. He wants to crucify us with Christ 
So that life would work in us where we actually give up on our own way of striving and fighting through life and we say, God, I just want to do things your way. Would you help me? The enemy will release constant warfare on your prayer life if you are praying, God, help me. Because he wants to move you out of the place of dependence on the Lord and cause you to be dependent on yourself or dependent upon pastors or leaders or churches or ministries. Anything but being dependent upon God Himself. That's what the Lord wants. So there are those that are number four is unprepared. He just wasn't prepared. He responded, but he didn't accurately count the cost. He wasn't ready. This is important, and you need to catch this because it's the main thing I want to communicate about the parable. Is that the problem is not with the king. The problem is not with the son. The problem is not with the feast. The problem's not with the invitation, yes? The problem is with the response of the invited guests. So you and I are invited guests. Jesus wants us to attend the wedding feast. He wants you and I to be a part of that great banquet one day. But the problem is in our own hearts. And I'm deeply concerned that many people are preaching a gospel that eradicates personal responsibility. Where we actually have a choice and God wants me to take the faculty of my will and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will not cower and back down to the hordes of hell. We will not listen to intimidation. We will not be talked out of the more of God. We're going to allow the Holy Ghost to talk us into more of Jesus every single day. We must partner with God. Would you say partnership? Say it one more time for me. Partnership. This is the essence of the gospel. The Lord lays out everything that He's done. He makes you aware that Christ was killed on your behalf and raised from the dead. He's seated at the Father's right hand and He's coming back. And Jesus wants to move upon you so that you would submit and surrender and say, God, have all of me. It was all of you for all of me, so I'll give all of me for all of you. Personal responsibility is the essence of repentance. It's the essence of what it means to say, you know, where I'm at in life and in God is because of my own choices. So if I'm not on fire for God, if my family is not thriving, if my marriage is not healthy, I lay down the ability to blame somebody else and I'm going to get before the Lord and say, Father, heal me and help me and show me what I need to do. Somebody asked me if I believe in total depravity. I said, I look in the mirror every day. I need help. I need the help. Do you need God's help? I feel like we need God's help this morning right now if I'm being completely dead honest. I feel the resistance in the Holy Spirit. I feel the resistance to what the Lord and where God wants to take this house. Because the destiny on this ministry is great. 
Some of you are confused. You started coming to our Father's house and all hell broke loose in your life. What in the world? This didn't happen when... uh, Well, listen, because you're starting to wake up. It's not about our Father's house. It's about the kingdom of God. Something's happening inside of you and you're like, man, what in the world is going on? Yeah, there's real angels and demons in a war. This thing is real. Anything to talk you out, anything to place the blame on this or that, rather than, oh God, please help me. Help me to go so low. Help me to duck down so low. Help me to bury my face in the dirt of humility so that when the enemy comes knocking, when the enemy comes searching, he can't even see me. He just looks right over me. Because I'm just buried on my face before you. I can't get picked off why I wasn't standing up. Does the word of God say, take heed while you stand lest you fall? Does it say that if we think we're something when we're nothing, we deceive ourselves, Galatians 6.3? I wonder if what's in the way is our image of ourselves. Why? Because we've all been breathing in the intoxication of the world that tells you you're really awesome and you're wonderful and you're just amazing and nobody really sees how wonderful you are. And God sees the wonder in us and He wants to shape us and mold us and father us so that we live for Him rather than ourselves. The gospel is a rescue message to hijack you off the train of living for yourself and cause you to live for God. Because if you live for yourself, you'll destroy yourself. If you make me, I, the center of your universe, it will end in destruction. You'll get an appetizer in this life, but you'll get the real deal forever in hell. Is that the gospel? Did I just communicate the truth of the word of God? Go to Revelation 19. Plow with me here, please. Just a few more minutes. Revelation, the last book. Revelation 19. I've stopped preaching messages and started birthing burdens. I have a burden for the body of Christ. I have a burden for the church of the Lord Jesus To arrive at her destiny. To see Christ rightly. Revelation 19. Now let me explain real fast. What you're about to read. Is the reality of the parable that Jesus just told in Matthew 22. You're going to see John's taken up. And in Revelation. He's given and he's allowed to see the future. The word for revelation is apocalypsis. This is the apocalyptic. But here's the deal. Revelation doesn't tell us just primarily about the end times. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you are struggling, if you say, man, Paul, I really relate to what you said about being stuck and counting the cost and I'm not really seeing the treasure, can I exhort you to read the revelation of Jesus Christ? Read Revelation on your own, by yourself. Get in His Word. Read until something cuts you and pierces you. And then sit on it and meditate on it and memorize it. And get the Word down inside of your heart. And I promise you'll begin to see Jesus more clearly. We have a vision problem in the church. It's not leaders who fail to cast vision. It's people who fail to see Jesus. And that includes leaders. Revelation 19 verse 1. 
The Apostle John writes and says, After these things I heard, as it were, a loud voice. Would you say a loud voice? A loud voice of great multitude in heaven. Now hold on just a second. John makes many comments about the volume in heaven and the majority of them are loud. And if we're really trying to pray and cultivate, every, anybody ever heard on earth as it is in heaven? <laughs> Y'all see where I'm going with this? So if we're going for on earth as it is in heaven, and John multiple times has this revelation, he starts seeing stuff that's loud, stuff that's booming and shaking and lightning and thunder, and there's all kinds of flashes and colors that he can't even describe. I'm telling you, your life in Christ Jesus can become that way if your revelation of Christ becomes real to you. Otherwise, it's just information. It's just another person that's hot and sweaty talking on a Sunday morning. Something's got to shift it. You got to own it. I got to want to see you lest I perish. Lest I pursue the things of the world. Lest I ruin myself. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. For I'm an idolater. I have unclean lips and an unclean heart and I need help. I need deliverance. I need mercy. I need humility so that I can be hungry for you. I'm not hungry for you because I'm full of the world. Because I've eaten at the table of everything else. Because the truth is what I've spent 15 minutes or more on every day, a lot of it's not you. And bears no fruit for my eternal soul. It's loud. A loud voice. Can I encourage you to increase the volume of your voice? I'm not talking about charismania. We're all just going to scream incoherently. And uh, Listen, everybody wants to point to those ditches. Meanwhile, we're stuck in the statue Christianity. Like, oh, well, we don't want to be out of order. I'm like, well, you might just try to wake up first. How many churches are stuck in dead religious tradition watching something happen and it's a laser light show to entertain you because we're all scared of things getting a little loud and wild and crazy. When maybe loud and wild and crazy is what someone fresh out of the world needs to see because like man people are on fire for the Lord. There's something happening here. How many people have come out of a lifestyle of sin and addiction and drugs and alcohol and immorality and they walked into a dead church and walked right back out? Because nobody was there seeing Jesus. Oh, we were firstly there just to see everybody else. It's easier to talk to people than it is to talk to God. We only have a few moments to pray corporately in this ministry. And people, if you want to talk to me, I'm like, man, let's talk after service. I want to pray. I want to seek God. I need this time. Maybe you're doing great, but I need the Lord. I need to be in corporate prayer. So it's loud. And that loud voice of a great multitude in heaven is saying, verse, almost verse 2, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power. Belongs to our God. Because His judgments are true and righteous. 
For he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. What is happening here? They're celebrating that the justice of God, that the wrath of God is being poured out, that everything that was wrong is being made right. That all those who were victimized, that all those who the the beast consumed, that all those who weren't treated fairly on the earth, that now Jesus is rendering righteousness and judgment. Oh, this is such an exciting thing. Maybe you don't have a justice streak in you like I do, but man, if you want to get me fired up, injustice sends me over the edge. But we have to be careful in our pursuit of justice that we don't take it into our own hands. When it belongs to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Yes? So they're celebrating what is happening here. Because the foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice, Psalm 89.14 says. This is the very foundation of the throne of God. Say justice. Righteousness. And justice and righteousness is the very pillar of His throne in heaven. We need a little more justice and righteousness. I think we need a little less pillow and blanket. I was having a a great conversation with a friend recently and I just said, Hey, do you think there are more people that are striving in the flesh and like doing too much? Or are there more people that are apathetic and lazy and have no spiritual fervor for God? Like which group do you think is bigger in the earth? Which group is bigger in the body of Christ? You've got to realize that here in America, without persecution, what we have is apathy. Comfort is seductive by nature. The reason why our services are always wake them up, shake them up is because we're trying to brush off the comfort and the seduction of a nice easy life and stay alive to Christ. Our goal at this ministry is to train and equip disciples in such a way that if somebody put a gun to your head and said, do you believe in Jesus, I'll kill you, that the trigger gets pulled every time. Oh, you're really going... No, that's, that's biblical Christianity. In the Middle East, before you get baptized, they say, are you willing to suffer and even die for Jesus? And if you can't answer yes, you do not get water baptized. But our standard's an inch off the floor, and it's like, well, you know, they, they, they think about God every so It's like, we need an upgrade. We need an upgrade in our walk with God. We need to be encouraged and challenged and motivated. See the prize. The cost pales in comparison to the prize of Christ. Verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Did you notice that the elders and the four living creatures are not stagnant? Did you notice that the elders and the four living creatures are not unmoved? 
How can we say that the presence of God is moving in a room, but we're unmoved in body, unstirred in soul, and unprovoked in spirit? I'm not here to judge your worship. I am here to exhort you that love looks like something. Passion looks like something. One of the great lies that we've all believed is that passion is a result of personality. When passion is a result of sacrifice. I promise you that every human being in this room, you're passionate about something. There's something that moves you, something that stirs you, something that arouses affection inside of you. And whatever is really not God is the idol. That's what needs to go. Some of us need to fast some good things. Some of you may need to fast from your farm and your business and make God number one of your farm and your business. And don't come back until you're ready to honor Him with everything that He gives you. Verse 5, and a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, you who fear Him, the small and the great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, The Almighty reigns. Is your spirit provoked this morning? Is something stirring in you? These cannot be words on a page. These need to be an invitation to know the author, our God, our Father, our Creator, our friend Christ Jesus. The Lord is inviting His church in this hour because the need is great. Because the hour is late. Because we're running out of time. Please don't fellowship with people that have no urgency to their spiritual life. We need more people that are sober and less joking. Because deception is running rampant. I feel the presence of the Lord right now. I feel the witness of God on this. Jesus, to truly see you is to fall down and to worship you. To truly know you is to give you everything. Salvation and glory and power belong to you and you alone. God, help us to posture our hearts and prepare our lives to be worthy of you. Verse 7, just a few more. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has sat there and slept. For his bride has pursued other lovers. For his bride has entertained everything else. What does it say? 
that his bride has made herself ready. Do you hear the personal responsibility in this? You've got a responsibility to make sure that you're ready. Forget about get ready, stay ready. You won't need people telling you to get ready if you stay ready. I don't know about you, but if you've ever seen a bride prepare herself for her wedding, ladies, help me out here. What time did you get up on your wedding day? Extremely early. You don't even remember what time it was so early. Like you didn't say, oh, the wedding's at four. I'll sleep in, just kind of casually mope around, say hi to a few people and show up. You wanted to look your best, yes? You, you sense the honor and the privilege of, wow, I'm getting married today. You got up early. You got prepared. You made yourself ready. Why? Because you were excited. Because you were looking forward to something. Because your, your heart was full of love and expectation and honor. But if we can't see Jesus, if we don't see the groom... Everything I've said just feels like heaviness and weight to you. It just sits on you like, oh, the more I got to do for Jesus. And here's the Lord trying to liberate us all from ourselves. It's an invitation. There's no condemnation. It's an invitation from the Lord. Make yourself ready. I'm coming. Verse 8. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Please notice that. What you do in this life matters. And he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours. And your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Which means that our personal revelation of who Christ is directly influences who and what and why we prophesy. The spirit of prophecy always bears witness of Jesus. True prophecy always reveals Jesus. The essence of prophecy is the testimony of Christ. So who you know God to be will directly influence your prophetic ministry. So if you only know God to be harsh and hard and angry and you've projected all your wounding onto Him, then you can reject white-hot preaching because they, they didn't say it in a loving way. Or if all you know God to be is fun and happy and he, He's just really out there just to help you add a, a nice little moment to your life, then you can interpret correction as rejection and never listen to anybody. Who is Jesus to you? I think we need a little more of the Jesus whose eyes are a flame of fire. If you keep reading, it says that a sharp sword proceeds from his mouth. And with it, he strikes down the nations and he treads the wrath of the winepress of God. Oh, precious Jesus. 
sweet Jesus, merciful Jesus, eyes a flame of fire, golden sash, white robe, white hair, feet like burnished bronze, burning. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the living one. The word come is in Revelation 43 times. The word in Revelation is not wait. It's not hold on. It's come. The last chapter, Revelation 22, 17, says the Spirit and the Bride say come. So the Holy Spirit and the Bride, who is the body of Christ, are in full alignment and full agreement. And they're both saying, come Lord Jesus. Come, we're ready. We're ready for you. We're not unprepared. We're not distracted. We're not in idolatry. We're not hostile or unwilling. We're willing. We're ready, Jesus. I want you. Jesus, I love you. Maranatha means come, Lord Jesus. Do you have a cry deep down in your spirit that says, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Don't wait, not tomorrow. Not next week, but now, come. Manifest your glory and your power in the earth. One day, everything that we can see in this life will pass away. I don't know if you've been to a funeral lately, but it always amazes me that Jesus has the power over death. To look at a dead body laying in a casket, and if you've ever touched them, they're cold as the room. And Jesus has the power to raise from the dead because the Father raised Him from the dead. And He is walking among His church in this hour. He is gauging the temperature of all those that name His name. And He wants to know if He's really number one. He wants to eliminate every distraction. He wants to pulverize every excuse that would keep us out of the more. And He wants us to say yes to the pressing, to the crushing, to the shaking that has the power to save our souls. I was watching a clip recently and I watched a very famous minister say that he gave up on doing altar calls because altar calls are just emotional manipulation. He said, you should be able to respond to God just right there sitting in your seat. You don't really need to do anything. Can I tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell? God is always looking for a response. I don't care what you do. You don't have to come forward. We're going to open the altars. You go repent in the parking lot or at Kroger for all I care. But you make sure that you get your life and your heart right. Whatever it looks like for you. But we're going to continue to cultivate an atmosphere that's conducive to the presence and power of God. It's not like the Lord's up here and He's not back there. But can I tell you, there's something of a drawing and a pulling and a wooing that says, Lord, I just want to give you my life and give you my everything. And whatever it takes, I'll do it. Can you be persuaded this morning? Because persuaded people persuade people. 
but apathetic people help everybody else in their stagnation. Would you stand to your feet this morning, beloved? Lord, this morning we say, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. These altars are open for you to come and seek the Lord if that's what you choose to do. You can come now if there's anything stirring on you, if there's anything that's been provoked in you, anything you need to deal with. Make sure you do it now. Don't do it later. Don't do it tonight. Just do it right now. Just allow the Holy Spirit to wash you in His love. To shower you in conviction and the fear of the Lord. To affirm you. God, we cry out on behalf of this region, Lord, that every church would burn bright for You. Father, I pray that You would awaken Indiana. I pray that You would wake up the Hoosier State, Lord. We've been a sleepy people. We've been a distracted people. We've been intellectual and too smart for our own good. God, help us. I cry out this morning as a son of Indiana, as a Hoosier myself, that Lord, You would break everything in this land. That You would shatter every principality in this region of apathy and indifference to God. We're asking You, Lord, for an awakening because we're willing to be awakened. Just begin to pray with me right now. It's going to get loud in here because we're going to get our voice back. We need the fire of God in this hour to come and burn up the chaff. To burn up our indifference and our apathy. stretch your hands out to the Lord. God, we're desperate for you. We don't want to live for anything else or anyone else. Oh God, please help us. Put a cry in our hearts right now, Lord. Forgive us for our complaining and our whining. Forgive us for our lame excuses, Lord. We offer you our lives today. We offer you our hearts today. Awaken a groan and a cry inside of us, your people, Lord. Let there be great shaking, great pressure, great crushing. That the oil of the Holy Ghost would flow in the house of God again. What we have is not working. What we're doing isn't making a difference. We need a change. We need a shift. God, we need you and you alone. Send your fire. 
let us yield to you, Lord. We don't want to resist you or fight you in this moment. We just say yes, Lord. Yes, Holy Spirit. May the fire on the altar never burn out. May the fire on the altar never burn out. May the fire on the altar never burn Make us a people of prayer, Lord. a house of prayer. Saturate us in intercession, Lord. on the altar never burn out. May the fire on the altar never burn out. May the fire on the altar never burn out. Make me a house of prayer. May the fire on the altar never burn out. May the fire on the altar never burn out. May the fire on the altar never burn out. Make me a house of prayer. Oh, make me a house of prayer. Oh, make me a house of prayer. Oh, make me a house of prayer. I want to burn, I want to burn, I want to burn for you. burn I want to burn I want to burn for you I want to burn I want to burn I want to burn for you to help me that's you pray in the Holy Ghost pray in English let's stay engaged with the Lord just a few more moments could change your life could change someone's life there's turmoil in the Holy Spirit and we need breakthrough in Jesus name some of us have been in labor for a long time it's time to give birth says the Lord Push, says the Lord. Give birth. Birth the burden in Jesus' name. 